actually, if, unless you have the Message Bible, you don't need to open up your Bible because I'm going to read from the Message Bible. It's really important we glean from a lot of different translations um, and, uh, and we don't get stuck in one translation, especially ones that were translated before, you know, uh, we found over 7,000 original Greek manuscripts and, and so some people are still chuck, stuck on KJV. KJV is an okay translation, but, but listen, get out of the KJV box because there's more out there. Come on, somebody. And sometimes we idolize, it's, it's not just biblia idolatry, but we idolize versions of the Bible. And, and it's important that we glean from different versions. And uh, not one version is perfect. Amen. And, uh, and so we got to glean from the different translations. Some are thought by thought, some are word for word. There are ones that are better than others. Um, but I like the message. The message is a contemporary translation by a scholar named Eugene Peterson. He is absolutely brilliant. He reads Greek. Um, so before we critique anything that the message says, let's learn Greek for like 40 years. Then we can critique the scholar named Eugene Peterson. Amen. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Maybe there's people in here that need to hear it. So look at the person next to you and say, you need to hear this right now. <laughs> so in John chapter 4, you know, the more that I meditate and I soak into certain portions of Scripture that the Lord has really spoken in my heart, it's like the more I discover things and the more I, I just I search out and I feast on the scripture and I learn of the living Christ and I and I get to grow in my in my faith and my discovery this beautiful relationship that we've been brought into with God and with one another and so in John chapter four I, I'm going to share some things with you uh, about this story of the woman at the well and some things I'll touch on that I've shared before. But, but the, what I'm going to share this morning is, is a little bit newer uh, than what I've taught on this before. And so, uh, God, we just thank you so much for your presence. And we just pray for a real good time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, let's just read from uh, verse 1. Oh, no, not verse 1, verse 3, John 4. Now, if you don't have the message, they're going to have it up, up top here. So you can check it out there. It might be a lot easier to follow along because it is a contemporary translation. So it's not going to be like a word for word like what you have. It says, so Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, let me just make a note real quick. Geographically, he did not have to pass through Samaria. Uh, scholars will even tell you that this, this, the author is alluding to a divine appointment Jesus had with a woman at the well. Come on, somebody. Now that excites me because Jesus purposed in his heart to meet this woman because there's a whole people group that at the time, the religious system completely discarded, completely shunned. There was a wall. There was a prejudice. There was a spiritual prejudice or even a, a racial prejudice. And, the, and Jesus literally in, purposed in his heart, sent by the Father, came to bring down that wall. So it says he had to go through Samaria, not because it was a geographical thing. It was because Jesus loved people so much and he wanted to uh, communicate the good news that all of humanity would now be included in the gospel of the kingdom. Can I hear you say amen? amen. And so it goes on, it says, so he came to Sychar and a Samaritan village that, uh, that bordered the field of Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well 
it was noon. So it's broad daylight. Verse 7, a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? Verse 8, his disciples had gone into the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman taken back asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. So look at a response immediately. Now, Jesus is, he, he's crossing the lines here. He's crossing religious lines. Come on, somebody. He's crossing all sorts of lines. And he's actually inviting her into relationship. In the context of the first century as a Jew or a Samaritan, when you drink or eat with someone, it was a very intimate thing. It was a relational thing. It wasn't just a casual, hey, let's go grab a Coke. You know, it was, it was like, you're sitting down with me. And a lot of times families would get together and they would drink wine together and it was a covenant drink. And so it was, it was a drink and they would get together and it was almost like there was a relationship and a forming of a bond and a harmony and something. So this is a lot more than Jesus. Hey, can you get me a drink of water while you're over there, lady? And this is, he's inviting her. He's, hear me, he's beckoning her into relationship. Now, this is going to be some of the context of what I want to preach to you this morning is, is about intimacy and relationship with God and how we, how we function in our relationship with God and, and how a lot of times our context of, of, of worship, of religious things, of things that we do as Christians, you know, our context of community, our context of church attendance, our con- whatever we're doing, our religious stuff that we do, good and bad, sometimes it's not in the context of relationship. It's like our worship is, is in a, a, a religious context, not a relationship context. And a context of intimacy. And I want to talk to you about how these, these things contrast and why. And then we're going to discover um, how to step in 100% into, God, this is about a relationship. And we can get rid of the facades. Come on, somebody. Speaking of facades, how many enjoyed my wife's message last week on transparency and authenticity? Come on. So powerful. I was sitting up here, and I was just getting wrecked. And I was just, and God was speaking in my heart. You know, pastors need to hear that message. Leaders need to hear that message. Because when you deal with community you deal, and you're ministering to people, you have a tendency to withdraw and then you have a tendency to, you know, turn on as I'm a pastor now and then turn off and, and instead of just being you and just living from the heart. And I want you to understand this is one of our passions too as a church that, that what you see is what you get. Like we want to live from such a place of the heart that it's like this is, this is the real me, who you're seeing now. And so sometimes we might be a little off the wall because we're just people. Come on, somebody. And so if our transparency bothers you, then go find a fake pastor. Okay, let me keep preaching. Oh, I'm sorry. I can say that because it's my birthday. And No, it's not. It's actually Glenda's birthday. Oh, come on, man. Happy birthday, Glenda. <laughs> I can preach. I want to. It's my birthday. So uh, anyways, let me get back on track here. So the context is relationship. The context of this whole entire story is, is in calling her into a relationship. 
Now, verse 10. Jesus answered. Oh, man, verse 10. Say verse 10. I want you to just, just look, read this with me for a minute. And we're going to go back to this verse in a minute because I saw some things that were just beautiful. But look what it says. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. He just told her what's up right there. Like, oh, man. And I would give you fresh, say fresh, living water. If you knew the generosity of God and who I am. Now, I want you to catch this. Why did Jesus... Now, now, let me just say this too. Jesus didn't come. Jesus was sent. There's a difference. We go a lot of places we're not sent. Jesus was sent by the Father. Now, that, there's a big difference. He didn't just come. He was sent. John tells us over 40 times. He, was, he uses that word, sent. Jesus was sent by the Father. He proceeded from the Father. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the exact representation of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 tells us the same thing, that when we look at Jesus, we see what God looks like. Now, let me just say this, that God has always looked like Jesus. There's never been a time he hasn't, but Jesus now is this pinnacle looking at the old covenant, walking up this mountain of this progressive revelation of God from Job to the old covenant, you know, and the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, all these stories that we read. And now we get to Jesus. Now we can read the scripture in the light and in the revelation of who God really, what God really looks like, which is when we look at the son incarnate. Come on, somebody. This is so important for us. This is so important for us because we are still reading our Bibles with the lights out. We read our Bibles like every word is the same in authority. And we read Leviticus like it's the same as the red words. Well, I have news for you. Don't read your Bibles with the light out. Read your Bibles with the light on. The light is Jesus and he is the perfect revelation of God. Thank you for the clap on the front row over here. Pastor Kevin, come on somebody. Now it's so important that we get this, that Jesus says, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew who God really was and you knew who I am, then you would know about this living water that I want to give you. It's another paradigm that Jesus is trying to bring this woman into she, now listen, it's, it's probably a, a, a thing in her life where she would go to this well often and it was a respectful thing for a woman to get a man a drink. And, and it was, you know, in this culture, women were not appreciated. They were demeaned in this culture. It was quite different. And, and, you know, actually the well was a place where a woman could find a man. Come on, somebody. I, you know, it's possible some scholars believe that's where twerking was invented. I don't know for sure. <laughs> But it's very possible, not really, but it's possible something similar to twerking was invented. A sister trying to, you know, get some water, be like, hey, you know. But the, the, it's important to understand these things because Jesus now not only is, but now why, why is this rabbi talking to this woman, like this Samaritan woman? Later on, we find out she's got some things in the closet. Come on, just like everyone in the room, everyone has things in the closet, right? 
And if you don't have anything in the closet, then you're just putting it somewhere else. It's under your bed or it's under the rug or whatever. Everyone's got some dirt. Come on. And, and Jesus, the way that he communicates this to her is beautiful. And, and actually, I love looking at this verse because a lot of times we think, well, oh, she was just a, she was a promiscuous woman that cheated on her husband. That's not what the Bible says. It says she had five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband. Now, it's, it's interesting that the, the term with in the original language doesn't necessarily mean living with and sleeping with, but isn't it how we interpret it as Western English reading Christians? Actually, there's some, there's some scholars that believe that what Jesus said was you had five husbands and the one that you're contracted to or engaged to hasn't set a date yet. Now that, that changes things. Come on. Now you think about it, it's like, well, this lady, maybe the five husbands she had, she may, have, she may have walked away, she may have done things wrong, but maybe she was divorced for whatever reason. A man could divorce a woman for literally almost any, if, if she did not do something right or well enough, he could divorce her. This is why in the context of Malachi, where it says God hates divorce, the word divorce is this type of divorce. It's divorce for any reason at all. And so the woman at the well having five husbands, we, we don't know. She's not, we don't know if she's promiscuous, adulterous, but we have this slant on her. And I just want, I want to throw that at you for a minute because it's important to us the way we see people. And Jesus is, is crossing those lines as a rabbi talking to a woman, as a Jew talking to a Samaritan, as the Messiah talking to someone who technically is not part of God's chosen race, so to speak. And so there's things that are happening. There's a broadness. There's an immensity of the heart of God that is revealed in this story. And there's an immensity of God's love that is revealed in this story. So let me keep reading here. So she goes and she says, sir, you don't have a bucket of water to draw with. And then she goes on and she's like, are you better than our ancestor Jacob? And, and he, and so she's like trying to show like, oh, I know the scripture. I know I'm Samaritan. She's trying to prove, you know, that's the, we do the same thing. Come on. Right. Like we do it in our prayers. Like God needs to hear script. Now it's, I love praying scripture, but you know, have you ever been in a prayer meeting though? And it's almost like the person that's praying is really just preaching at all the people in the circle around them. What kind of crap is that? Oh, I said crap. Oh, crap. I said crap. Hey, what kind of religious stuff is that? Like, come on, man. What, we're talking to God here. What, what are these facades that we put up? What are these things that we do in our Christianity? And it's like we have theories, but we don't understand the reality of them. And we have ways and religious steps and things that we do. Worship God, worshiping God. But it's not in the context of relationship and intimacy. It's in the context of looking holy, looking anointed, being a church goer. I go to church every Sunday. But God is like, but I'm just wanting you to have relationship with me and not do all these silly religious things. Well, I read my Bible every day, a hundred chapters a day. I don't care how many scriptures you read. If you act like that, I don't want none of it. Come on, somebody. I want the real Jesus, man. I want this. I I don't want to, I don't want to do this worship thing without the context of intimacy. 
And this is what Jesus is revealing to this woman at the well. She goes on and spouts off about her knowledge and her scripture. And then Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. He's like, you're still in the wrong paradigm. I'm trying to bring you into something new. And I think even though that, you know, we're Christians in the room, most of us here, like, you know, we go to church. I think we still live in an old paradigm. I think we still live in an old, we're still worshiping God and we're, but we're not quite sure if he's going to turn on us. Like we're not quite sure if this God we worship is, he might end up acting like he did in the old Testament that we read about. And what if he turns on me? Hello. And, and maybe, and, but do we really know the heart of God and, and the context of intimacy and relationship? And this is what the story is about. Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks this water is going to thirst again. Verse 14, anyone who drinks this water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. No more of putting the bucket down in the well and then bringing it back up. Who knows how deep the well was? It was a popular well. Who knows if the water was always available, but it was a it was a striving thing. Jesus says, you don't understand the paradigm I'm trying to bring you into. Now, I love what it says here. He goes on. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I'll never get thirsty. I won't ever have to come back to this well again. Now, she's saying something right there, isn't she? I don't want to come back to this well again. I don't want to come back to this cycle of looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't want to come back to this method of religion. I don't want to come back to this place that reminds me of my past because this is where all my lady friends try to find a man, but I've had five and maybe she was rejected over and over and over again. But, but now, but now she's meeting somebody new and he's saying, I have something to give you where you don't have to come back to this well again. Are you hearing me this morning? Oh, what a beautiful, this is a Cinderella story. And then he says, go call your husband. I have no husband, she said. Now, this is the verse in the original language. We can't interject and, and we can't, you know, put things, conjecture on what, what, what it means for her not to have five husbands and be with one that she's not married to. So it goes on and Jesus says, he says, uh, I have no husband. She said, nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five, and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. And then she says, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? So again, she's she's. Jesus is trying to bring her into intimacy, bring her into relationship, reveal to her who, what God really looks like. And she keeps bringing it back to this religious thing. Now it's, do we worship God on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or do we worship God over here in Jerusalem? Because Jews and Samaritans had different methods. And Jesus said, listen, it's not about your method. I'm trying to bring you into a new paradigm. Now this is powerful. He says, believe me, woman, 
The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. You see, Judaism at the time, that was the, that was the womb of the incarnation of God. Like this is where the Messiah was going to come from. And so Jesus is explaining that to her. And then he says, uh, but the time is coming. It has in fact come. And I love the way Eugene Peterson breaks this down. When you, what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It is who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father, say the Father, is looking for. Those who, who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Isn't that beautiful? The woman said, I don't know about that, but I know the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, I'll get the whole story. Like, lady, who are you sitting here talking to once again? Now, you know, it's funny. I think we do the same thing in our Christianity. We're still looking for something new. We're still trying to find some new revelation instead of feasting on the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and what he's provided for us. Oh, I knew that wouldn't get too many amens. But it really bugs me that we're over here striving and we're still worshiping this, this image of God that we're not sure if he's going to have a different outlook on us one day. And we're still not feasting on the revelation that Jesus came to give us that God is a loving father. And he said that I would never stop and I would send my son because of a love that is burning in his heart for humanity. Come on, that's the revelation that we find in Jesus Christ. And we look at this story and, and this woman, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. He's like, he just said the father and she just missed the whole thing. Father, Papa, Daddy, God, Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, Abba, Father, Daddy, in a term of endearment, in a term of reverence, he, he changed the paradigm of prayer. You don't see God spoken of as father by an individual. It's only mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament. And, and really it's only mentioned for an individual that was like a king, like Solomon or David, but never in the context that we are sons and daughters. But all throughout the gospels over 150 times, you see God referenced as father in all the New Testament. It's over 260 times. God reference as father. This is called a paradigm shift. And we still want to read our Old Testament scriptures about, you know, if my people are called by many, well, that's great. You can glean from that and it might be useful. It might be helpful, but it's not necessarily applicable in the new covenant that you and I are in, in Christ Jesus. Why do we got to pull things in? Because we want to validate our retribute of God. We want to validate. Why? Because we still harbor stuff in our hearts because we're still learning to love our enemies even. Come on, somebody. 
the, the revelation of who God is in Jesus, we see this beautiful picture, the woman at the well, and she keeps changing the subject. We keep changing the subject because of our experience, or we change the subject, we change, and, and our context of our religiosity that looks really good on the outside is not relationship, intimacy, and the reality of what Jesus has already done. It's all the other stuff. I love what he tells her. And he says, the father is looking out. He's seeking that the father's seeking. You can't even be a worshiper unless you know the father's seeking you. Understanding that the father's pursuing you with his love is what causes you to truly be reverent to him and worship and step into communion because our worship is not in the context of sweet fellowship and communion with God. It's in the context of what, what we think of as worship, like God is some bloodthirsty God waiting for a virgin to be sacrificed in the volcano or he's angry or he's two-faced or he's the mean ogre that if we just take select scriptures in the Old Testament, we can form whatever image of God we want to. It's called Old McDonald theology. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. But when I look at Jesus, everything changes. When I look at Jesus and I read the scriptures in the light of Jesus, I can read some of those scriptures and I see myself. I look in the mirror and I say, I, I, want, a, I want a God like that. And, you know, we become the God we worship. So if we're shouting from the mountaintops, an angry, vengeful, mean ogre from heaven, maybe it's because that's what we want. We want an angry, vengeful, mean ogre as a God because then now we can be however we want to be because God is the way he is. And so I am the way I am. Our identity comes from what we worship. But when we meet Jesus and we see, no, the Father's seeking Worshippers, and you don't have to go to this mountain or that mountain. The old covenant is, is about to be done away with. We see this in Hebrews 8, verse 13. Jesus says it's passing away, or the, the writer says it's passing away, soon to be obsolete. The old covenant was about to come to an end. This is why in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I'd love to manipulate you. And that means you need to come to church every Sunday. That's not what the author was saying. He was saying, you got to stay together because any day now, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by General Titus and his army. They're going to starve the city. Jesus warned us about it in Matthew 24. He says, if you don't stay together, you won't know. They don't have Facebook in the first century church. And so not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together was a warning. Stay close because you got to know when the time comes. Jesus said, you got to run to the mountains because in 70 AD, that's what happened. The temple was destroyed. Millions of people died. Millions of Jews died. But church history tells us that all of the Christians escaped. Why? Because Jesus said, this is going to happen. But the beautiful picture that we get of God in this story without changing the subject Without, you know, uh, without mixing our experience in it. Verse 25, the woman said, I don't know about that, but I know the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Now look what Jesus says. I am he. Oh, man. I am he. Jesus said, you don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Oh, can I give you that word right now? Stop looking for some new revelation 
and just keep discovering the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. And when you feast on the scripture as a believer, it just points you to the living Christ and you feast on the bread of heaven and you grow in that beautiful relationship and that oneness that we have with God. Verse 27, the disciples came back. They were shocked once again, you know, Jesus shocks them again. They couldn't believe he was talking to that kind of woman. No one said uh, what they were thinking. They all kept silent, but their faces showed it. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Your countenance reveals you. And then it uh, goes on. It says, the woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. She left her water pot. She, I love that. That's so powerful. She left her past. She left her old life. She encountered somebody that actually loved her and didn't want anything else from her. I mean, I, w- I wonder if she was just so used to giving something for something else, for affection, for love. Jesus didn't, he, he didn't do that. He, he loved her right where she's at. And he had the, sh- the proverbial shoe that fit her foot. It's a Cinderella story. Jesus shows up and, and he says, I know you've been rejected over and over. And I know you messed up. If I may paraphrase the scripture a little bit from, from my study, I know that there's been, I know you have a past and I know you're hurt, but guess what? I've come to give you living water where you don't have to come back to this well and look for someone else's gaze. You don't have to come back to this well again and be broken over and over again, but I've come to heal your wounds. And I've come to reveal to you what God really looks like. He said in the beginning, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you know what that tells me? It tells me, I see the Trinity in that verse. I want you to look up at verse 10. Jesus said, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew the father and you knew the son, then you wouldn't be, you'd be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. Who's the living water church? It's the Holy spirit. Once again, you see Christ Jesus revealing this triune God. Why is it important? important to know this because as a people, as Christians, we can't pass by the great revelation of the triune Godhead. Because if we're still worshiping this G-O-D, little G God, that's just like all the pagan gods, that's bloodthirsty. And he's, you know, he's all by himself. And, you know, maybe, maybe he'll spare you or we're worshiping the God that before the creation of the world that Paul says, he tells us that we were adopted in him. We were chosen to be sons and daughters because we're loved by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit before the foundation of the world. Why is that important? Because if we worship this little G-O-D and we have a mixture of our God and we're not worshiping the God revealed in Jesus, which is Father, Son, and Spirit, who is relationship itself, then the temptation is that I can have all the religious activity without the relationship, but over here, he is relationship. So I can't love God and not love my brother. I can't speak of some being that I have not seen but despise my wife or my kids or my brother or my sister that has hurt me but this side and this paradigm is completely different we fall in the snare of living in this facade instead of growing in this fellowship 
with God. I remember my first experience in the youth group. I, I walk in, I mean, church is just crazy, right? And, and I wasn't raised in the church and there's, you see crazy things. If you want to see crazy stuff, just go to church, right? And sometimes people are just hurting and, and so they go because they find peace, they find refuge. So we love crazies. We, we want them to be normal, but we love them, right? <laughs> my first time in a youth group, I walk in and this girl's like, oh, follow me. I'll take you to the youth group. And I'm like, where is she taking me? And we go around the back. And then she pulls me in the back door in front of all the people. She wanted to look like I was her boyfriend and she was bringing me to church. I was so embarrassed. That was my first youth group experience. And then she did one of those things in prayer where she held my hand. She went, it was like this. And then she switched it on me like that. And I'm like, ugh. ugh. I mean, I was a Christian. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't need to date. Like, I love Jesus. I didn't want none of that. And then I experienced the, you know, God told me you're my husband. God told me to get away from you. <laughs> Jesus, help us all. I remember in worship, this is church experience, just our experience with God. It's just funny how my, my experience with God, I, I'm worshiping. And I was so ashamed to sing because I thought my voice was going to be horrible, that I lip-synced worship, and I still encountered God. So we'd be singing, I was just, some of you guys do it, especially when it's quiet and the pastor's like, lift your voice. But God wants you to sing. He wants your worship. He's not looking for worshipers, or worship, he's looking for worshipers. He's not that deity that's like, bow before me, I'm God, how dare you? God says, I want your heart. That's why I love to hear you sing. Because my worship is in the context of intimacy. I remember my first time teaching. All these tra- traumatic experiences. Thank God I've been delivered and healed from them. Amen. My first time ever teaching. Man, I planned out this whole message. I spent hours of study. Oh, man, I listened to this message. And, and I'm, I'm writing down notes. And and I'm preparing to teach. And so I teach this message and I'm pretty much like regurgitating someone else's message. And, and I thought it was okay, whatever, you know. And this lady who goes to Jack Hayford's church, she was big time. She was mature. And she had an English accent, which is even more intimidating, right? Hello. And it, you know, she's like, like, is this the queen speaking? My heart just, oh. She is, you don't have the gift of teaching. That was, that was one of my first experiences teaching. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Keep on moving forward. Thanks, that was encouraging, sis. It's the same concept, though, with the, what I'm referencing here. Like, we think a marriage should be, you know, as a young man, like, I want to get married. I want to have a girl by my side. So when I walk in a room, people see this fine woman. Come on, come on, guys. Don't act like that isn't anything. In, I mean, that you want a woman, right? Come on, you want a fine woman too. So you go to church, you look for a fine woman, but she better love Jesus. You're going to have problems. Or just say more problems. Just keeping it real. Marriage ain't easy. That's why I need to sign up for that marriage class. But what about, like, what about not just because I want a woman, but I want a bride that I can love and cherish? We 
want a God to answer all our prayers, but he's like, I just want a relationship with you guys. I mean, in the very beginning, in the garden, you don't even see worship mentioned. You see God coming in the cool of the day. I just want to spend time with you. That's worship. He's God. He transcends. He's amazing. He's holy. And we'll bow and we'll worship. But not in the context of that God. The context of the God revealed in Jesus. It's like the the, the heart or the desire to say, "I, I want a son. I want a kid. I want to be a dad. I want a son to carry my name. What about the reality that like, I have to cultivate and pour into and shape my children's lives and I want their floor to be my ceiling. I want want them to to pass me up. It's like we want a family, we want a house, we want a white picket fence and it just, it's almost like it's just this facade and we do the same thing in our Christianity. Jesus shows up to this woman and breaks her whole facade down. She tries to change the subject and and you see the God once again revealing, Jesus revealing Father, Son, and Spirit because that's what, that's who God is. That's who God is relationship. So you can't worship God without that reality. We've got a lot of theories. We've got a lot of thoughts about things. But God wants relationship and reality for us as believers. I want to read this short thing in closing to you. Uh, out of a book by Brennan Manning called Abba's Child. It's one of our uh, reads that we recommend in our School of Theology and Supernatural Living. We have each semester, we have like 10 or 12 books, somewhere around there, that we recommend. We say, if you're a believer, you should read this. It's really good. This is one of the books, Abba's Child. And and this is by, uh, he's quoting Simon Tugwell, uh, and this is called The Beatitudes. This is beautiful. Are you ready? And so like runaway slaves... We either flee our own reality or manufacture a false self with is mostly admirable, mildly prepossessing and superficially happy. We hide what we know or feel ourselves to be, which we assume to be unacceptable and unlovable behind some kind of appearance, which we hope will be more pleasing. We hope behind pretty faces which we put on for the benefit of our public. And in time, we even come to forget that we are hiding and think that we are assumed pretty face. Our assumed pretty face is what we really look like. Wow. That's not who we really are. And we come out from, from among all that and we realize like the whole time, God just wants intimacy with us. He doesn't want orphan worship. This is why last night in our prayer meeting, I, I, I gave just a little bit of word of reproof, if you will. It was, don't beg God to fill a room that he's already in. Language can be very confusing. If we're saying, Holy Spirit, come, well, we might mean manifest your presence, but if we say it like he's not in the room, then that, that's going to be our reality. It's kind of like how we, it's, it's our worldview. It's how we see things. I, I don't, I don't, I say maybe come in power, Holy Spirit come in power, but it's, it's important 
that, that we see things the way they really are. Like God's here, God's everywhere. And he doesn't want orphan worship. And sometimes I feel like we're that foster kid or that orphan kid banging our spoons on an empty bowl saying, God, feed me. And God's over here like Father, Son, and Spirit looking at us with eyes of love and adoration says, I've set an entire table for you. Sit down and eat and feast on the bread of life. There's fresh bread in the house. Let's close in prayer. Would you dim the house lights for me? I hope you all were encouraged and blessed this morning. It's, it's not easy to preach, preach when you're intoxicated with new wine. Jesus, we're in awe of your love. And we're still learning what your love is. We're still learning the immensity and the inclusivity and the reality of, of your love for us. Oh, and God, we pray that you would, you would just teach us to live in this place of just being, just being loved by you, just beloved. We're beloved. And so we just need to be loved. And, and in that, the masks come off the stuff comes off and we we move away from these religious calisthenics and these duties and the paradigm of of you know trying so hard to please you and, and worship out of the context of intimacy and we move into the place of intimacy again of relationship of knowing your love of knowing that you've come to heal us and you've come to set us free and you've come to give us new life. So I pray right now, as our hearts are open to you, every person in this room would just say, God, I receive that word and I receive and I step in. I step into this paradigm of intimacy. I step into this paradigm of new life and union with you. I'm not gonna just look everywhere else for, for some fresh revelation or new thing instead of stopping and sitting at the table and continuing to discover the beauty of the revelation of your love for me in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. Thank you, Lord. One of these days I'm going to preach to you about Gnosticism and, and how it's so prevalent in the church and it's not healthy. Just I sometimes I see it in striving Christianity, Gnostic, charismatic type Christianity, and we need to get back to Jesus, church. We really do. We need to we need to feast on the Lamb of God. We need to feast on the bread of life. We need to get back to Jesus, church. And so, Lord, thank you for every person in this room, and I pray that they would not leave the same. And we rejoice what you've done in this service. We thank you for your mighty love and your mighty presence. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Would you say amen with me?